Welcome to the Wobbler Show. This is the intersection of faith and the culture. We're taking on the hot topics of the day, looking at them always from a biblical, historical, and constitutional perspective. We appreciate you joining us. My name is Rick Green. I'm a former Texas legislator and America's Constitution coach, and I'm serving alongside Tim Barton and David Barton. Tim's, of course, a national speaker and pastor and president of Wobblers. You can need to check out some of his materials right there at wobblers.com and book him in to speak if you want to have a great presentation. And same goes for David Barton. He's, of course, America's premier historian and our founder here at Wobblers. We're all three appreciative of you joining the program. You can learn more about us at the website, wallbuilderslive.com, and that's where you can get archives of the show and, of course, make that one-time or monthly contribution. No hesitation in asking you to invest in Wall Builders because it's a great investment in freedom. What you're helping to do is train pastors and legislators and young people and teachers and citizens of all kinds all over the nation, equipping and inspiring them, getting them engaged. That's how we're going to turn this around, folks. We have to cure civic ignorance. Ignorance is curable, but it takes some work. We have to put some time and effort into it, and we have to entertain and engage and equip people so that they will do so, so that they will get excited, so that they'll get intrigued. That's what we do well, I believe, here at Wobblers, and uh, that's why millions of people have seen the programming. They've been a part of this in some way, shape, or form, taken a Constitution class or in some other way, gotten involved and gotten excited about being a good citizen. And you can be the one to help us spread the word and get even more people engaged and help us turn this nation around, bring us back to liberty and away from tyranny. Thanks for being a part of it, and thanks for listening today. Hi, David and Tim. We're in the second day of our Hero of the Day series that we're going to do throughout February. And, uh, and, and Tim, now before we go into today's Hero, um, how can people find more detail about these heroes on our website? What's the best place to go? Yeah, so if, if you go to the Wall Builders website, look for um, the American Heroes series, and we'll try to have that posted toward the front of the website, make it easy for you to find. Uh, it's available in PDFs you can download, and, and it's 20 heroes. Uh, the, our thought was we need to start reintroducing American to heroes so often, guys, as we travel, we will tell people that it's sad how little Americans know of some of these American heroes. And we try to point people back to them, and we decided that we really just need to start going back and recapturing and telling those stories. So these are about a page and a half bio. There's some footnotes in it. So if there's things that you want to know more about, you definitely look that up. And, and for a lot of these people, we have even more information on our website than just in these short bios. But look for the American Hero Series. And the hero today, the, the second individual we're talking about in this series, is Robert Smalls. And Robert Smalls is really kind of one of the coolest stories going back and looking at one of these incredible black patriots from the Civil War. Now, he didn't start off as an incredible hero. In fact, he was a slave in South Carolina, but he apparently showed incredible aptitude, uh, specifically on uh, the river, on boats, because he works his way up in his early life and ends up becoming the pilot of ships in the Confederate side of the line. Uh, now, Dad... You've done a lot of research on this, so let's let's have like a quick two or three minute overview on Robert Smalls. And I'm going to throw in some thoughts as we go. Yeah, Robert Smalls was a great guy on the water, and so he was. We can't say enlisted, drafted. He was commanded as a slave to be the pilot, and he was the pilot on the flagship for the Confederate general over all of that area. Uh, at that point in time, Charleston. There at Charleston, that's a huge harbor, and the Union Navy has blockaded the harbor to keep anything from getting in. 
And so here the Confederates are with with General Ripley and the guy driving the boat, commanding the boat, essentially, as far as where as it goes, is Robert Smalls. So he wants freedom. His crew wants freedom. They're looking for it. They tell their family, look, someday we're going to make a break for it. You guys just need to be ready to go when we go. And one day, General Ripley and his staff went ashore for a social party, a gathering. And at that point in time, Robert says, this is it. Let's go. So they went and got their families. They they got on the boat and they've got to get out of the harbor and they have to pass by seven Confederate forts to get out of the harbor. And at each Confederate fort, they have to they have to blow a, a coat on the whistle. Well, he knew all those because he'd been taking the general. And he had to turn and look at the, the sentries at the forts and say the password. And now he doesn't look like the general looks. <laughs> There's no way. So it's going to be a real challenge. Well, and, and to clarify, just for anybody who's not familiar, we're saying there's forts on the water. We're talking about checkpoints. So as you're going down the river, they would have security verifying who's going up and down because obviously the Union has ships. And so Robert Smalls, that as you're alluding to, he puts on the uniform of a Confederate officer, puts on the hat, kind of pops up the collar. So it's, it's a little less obvious that he's a black man wearing this uniform. And he's able to pass through every checkpoint. The last of these forts is Fort Sumter, which is where the Civil War really kind of began. And he gets to Fort Sumter. He gives a signal. And you can imagine it feels like an eternity as they're waiting for the verification. But finally, they get the report past the planter. And also, it's worth noting, as they're going through these checkpoints, some of the other uh, black slaves on this ship who were escaping, trying to find freedom, they got pretty nervous along the way because if they were caught and captured, they knew this was essentially a death sentence, that they've stolen the ship, right? They're they're escaping slaves. They knew this was not going to go well for them. And so many of them wanted to turn back. At this point, Robert Small says, guys, let's get together. And he prays this incredible prayer over him. And part of the prayer that was recorded, he, he prayed that just like God had delivered the Israelites out of Egypt, that God would deliver them out of slavery, that God would take them to their promised land. Well, they get to Fort Sumter. He finally gets the the authorization, past the planter. And the whole time he's had a Confederate flag. Well, as he goes out in the harbor, the Union ships are there and he gets the Confederate flag down just in time before the Union ships open fire on him. He raises up a white flag, a surrender. And when he gets into the Union ships, Union soldiers get on board and he tells them that I've got a present for Uncle Abe. And he turns the ship over to the Union soldiers Well, they all end up getting to go to meet President Abraham Lincoln. They all get a military reward commission. They make money off of this. But then in the Union side, they recognize, hey, this Robert Smalls guy, he's a really talented pilot. We we should have him as an actual pilot, title and all, on one of our ships. Well, they let him stay on the same ship. It now became a Union ship, and he was a pilot on the Union ship. And then he became more than that. In the middle of battle, the, the captain of that Union ship got scared and went down and hid. And so he took over and, and got through the battle, and he was made the captain of that Union ship. He's the first black captain in the U.S. Navy. And by the way, he was a second lieutenant. Very, very rare at that point in time that black soldiers were made officers. He's a second lieutenant, and he goes to fight, and he fights 17 more battles. The war is over. After the war, he comes back. He founds the Republican Party of South Carolina. He goes on, he runs for the state legislature, he's elected, he runs for the federal legislature, and is one of the early black legislators from South Carolina. Just a wonderful, wonderful guy, wonderful story, a really good story for this month. And we obviously are giving an incredibly abbreviated version. For more information, definitely go to wallbrothers.com. You can find this bio there in this American Hero series. These are definitely stories that we want to relearn 
because these are genuine American heroes that unfortunately today we don't know much about. So we want to reintroduce those to people. So for parents and grandparents and teachers and pastors and legislators and business owners, employees, whoever you are, these are some great stories at wallbuilders.com. All right, David and Tim, let's jump in. First question is going to come from Seth. He's 18 years old, writing in from White River, South Dakota. He said, I've been a listener of your program for about two years now. Okay, guys, I was not a math major, but that means at 16, he was listening to this program. That's pretty cool. In that time, I have tried to apply the principles and actions you have promulgated. Promulgated. He just used a word I wouldn't have known at 16 or even 18. I don't even know what it means now. Anyway, part of doing this has been to stand up against corruption wherever Christ has placed me, which happened to be on student council during my senior year in high school. This school was a private Christian high school, by the way, and he put Christian in quotes, by the way, guys. I discovered that a student council advisor had used money which wasn't allowed to be used without prior approval per the student council constitution. Now he's even using the word constitution, guys. I think we just found us a Patriot Academy student <laughs> for next year, I hope. Um, anyway, it wasn't allowed to be used. Therefore, I alerted the school board about it. Instead of thanking me and putting a stop to the money issue, they instead directed the superintendent to kick me off of student council for causing division and contention. They told me I was like the person in Titus 310 who causes trouble. What would you do in my situation? I feel targeted for doing what's right. Sincerely, Seth. Seth, first of all, thank you for for writing in. Thank you for listening to the program. Thank you for for serving on student council, for standing up, for being willing to have the courage to, to speak out. Um, just an encouraging just to hear from him, guys. Um, and by the way, Seth, you are invited to attend Patriot Academy this summer. Uh, we won't be in South Dakota, but we are going to do one in Indiana and Delaware and Colorado and uh, Texas and other places. So come join us, buddy. We'd, we'd love to have you. So what do you guys think? What would you advise him in terms of how to handle this situation? Well, first of all, it's awesome, Seth, that you are involved and what you are doing to try to make a difference at your school, learning part of the process and the program. And unfortunately, you are also learning the politics. And, uh, you know, sometimes you can be in a position where you can do the right thing. And, you know, guys, I'm going to say this with some nuance because certainly we are hearing part of the story. Um, And not, Seth, not that I'm doubting anything you're saying. But just in wisdom and prudence, right, you, you generally want to hear both sides of the story. If somebody's going to uh, bring a, a case to court, the judge wants to hear both sides argue. Let both sides present the facts and the information. Uh, but Seth, just from what I'm hearing right now, I, a couple of thoughts. First of all, sometimes you can be in the right and still end up in the wrong because you can do the right thing in the wrong way. You know, sometimes it can be tone, it can be attitude. Sometimes you can be saying things that are true, but it can be sometimes the way you say it or Uh, You know, one of the things that Jesus told the disciples was how sad it was that the children of the world were more shrewd than the children of light. Because sometimes we want to be abrupt and we want to just confront people and say, hey, you're wrong and you shouldn't have done that. And maybe they were wrong and they shouldn't have done it. But sometimes there's strategy involved. And Seth, obviously, I'm just I'm throwing a lot of things out there. Again, I don't know all the details, don't know all the scenario, but it, it certainly does make a difference. And this is part of politics is learning strategy. And if if you're the only one on the council who identified the problem, the only one standing up for the problem, sometimes the strategic thing is get an ally. Find somebody there and say, hey, have you read what the process is for someone to, to take and spend money and, and do it with authorization? Did we give that authorization? Like, shouldn't we do that? Sometimes you can recruit and even train an ally so that they're not the only voice saying the right thing. And I mean, Rick, you really could probably speak to this a lot too from your days in the state legislature where 
you know, sometimes the people that were the most fiery, that were the most passionate, um, that weren't going to compromise on anything, they didn't always get the most done necessarily. You have to, not that you want to compromise on principle, but sometimes you have to learn how to- The art of compromise, the art, yes. Don't don't compromise on principles, compromise on strategy sometimes. There you go. But you never compromise your principles, you just compromise the way you approach something. Yeah. Well, and it goes back to, I think sometimes, you know, this notion of how to win friends and influence people. How can I win people over to my side and do it strategically? That there's a time to stand up in front of people and say you're wrong. There's a time to do work behind the scenes. So I, I do think there's a lot of strategy in, involved. And so, Seth, without being in that specific situation and, and without talking to you and getting more information, it's hard to give you really direct guidance. But I would say in that situation, certainly I would want to stand up and say, hey, guys, I, I don't think that's the way we should be doing this. And sometimes too strategically, you can ask questions and and not just say what is or isn't. You can ask questions, and say, "Hey, should 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 we get approval before that happens? Like, shouldn't shouldn't this process happen?" Because I was just reading, it and it seemed like this is what it was. And you can ask questions, let other people answer, and continue to ask questions as you dig and go a little deeper, trying to find or really even help lead people to the truth. But as you're trying to find a resolution for this unless you are the one in charge of all the decisions. And sometimes you just have to have a little more strategy involved in the process. And I'm not saying this, Seth, to be critical at all of what happened, right? I'm not telling you, you messed up because some, right? Maybe you did everything right. And unfortunately we know sometimes that there are people out there that you can do the right thing in the right way. And it's still not always going to go your way. And this is where we have to have that John Quincy Adams mindset that the duty is ours. The results are God's. We're going to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. And we leave the rest in God's hands. Um, guys, what, what else would you say? Dad, what would you add to this? You know, I would add a couple more things. I agree with you. We don't know everything. And you hear, you hear one side, it sounds good. You got to hear both sides. I'd start with Tim, what you said. We don't know for sure what both sides are. We're assuming Seth's exactly right. Just don't know. So we always never want to jump to judgment without knowing all sides, all perspectives. But I have a, a few thoughts. You know, Seth was saying, well, what do you do? Well, first thing I would do is I'd send you to Matthew five eleven, where Jesus says, here's what you do. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all men are evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. So that's the first thing to do is rejoice and be exceedingly glad. The, the second thing that came to mind was I looked up Titus 3.10, and if that's the verse they gave you, I can understand why you put Christian in quotes, because that verse has nearly nothing to do with this situation. And if they told you that, that you were that kind of person, it, it says a man that's a heretic after the first and second admonition reject. I don't know how they got that out of saying, hey, there's misuse of money maybe going on over here. So if, if that's the verse they gave you, that's a really strange verse. But the final thing I'd say, going into politics, whether it's politics, whether it's church, anything else, you're just dealing with human beings. And one of the things that we learned a long time ago, I had a motto I used in politics and in church, and it's, I don't need enemies because I've got friends. And that just simply means a lot of times your friends are some of the people who attack you most. Um, You know, I have the, the kind of joke that I quip that Moses only fought the Egyptians one time. He fought his own people for 40 years. And that's essentially what happens a lot of times in conservative circles and church circles. So blow it off. Don't worry about it. You keep your backbone, stand there. But as Tim said, uh, there's sometimes better strategies on how to go at things. And I don't know, but you just perfect strategy. We don't, we don't know, but look at other ways to approach. And that's the cool thing about Acts. When Paul was speaking to different groups, he had different approaches for different groups. 
And sometimes you have to alter that approach. You, you, can't, you can't talk to the people on Mars Hill the way you talk to the people in Jerusalem. And so sometimes you have to take a different approach. And that's the other thing to learn is be flexible. Find a bunch of different approaches. Find a bunch of different tactics. Uh, do not be a person who only has one gun in your arsenal and only shoots one caliber. And, you know, get a, get a bunch of stuff. Be really flexible and mobile. So great stuff. Thank you for standing up. And, you know, again, if you want to do Patriot Academy this year, that'd be a great thing. You'll learn a lot about strategy at that point as well, too. Yeah, you, you guys, great wisdom in all of that. I mean, and, and what you're hearing, Seth, is, is you know, it takes discernment in, in these public situations, and, and they're not all the same, and build relationships. And like Tim was saying, find you a battle buddy. That helps so much in this public arena it, to have somebody that you can team up with and strategize with. And at 18, one of the things I would recommend to you, I was, I was really too young when I went into the legislature at 26 years old, and I figured out real quick I needed what I called some wise old men. And so I put a group of wise old men together, uh, some gray-haired guys that have been around a lot longer than I had. Was that the first time you called my dad? Or yeah, <laughs> your dad. Believe it or not, your dad didn't even have gray hair back then. <laughs> uh, but you know, get some get some folks with some experience that 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 can pour into you and that you can go to for advice, especially in situations like this, and uh, and get good training. And I was going to ask you guys, uh, Tim, what is the age for our leadership training where they get to come spend time with you and go to the library and do all that cool stuff as well? Yeah, every summer it's 18 to 25-year-olds, and there are some exceptions. If somebody finishes high school early, uh, we certainly will take someone if they are done with high school, but generally we're looking at people that have just finished high school, that are in college, that are, are young professionals early in their career, and you come spend a week with us, and we will do a lot of uh, foundational training, doing a deep dive into American history. We do a lot of apologetics. We do a lot on faith because that really was the foundation of the nation. We spent a lot of time in the Christian heritage, specifically with original documents. Uh, and it's another great opportunity, uh, Seth, you know, as, as you're looking for things in the summer, uh, if this summer, <laughs> go to Patriot Academy. Next summer, do Summer Institute and Patriot Academy. Um, these are things that definitely can help you as you grow as a young man, young professional into your future. Yeah, the iron sharpening that takes place at those events is, is huge, and we all need that, right? We all need to learn that balance of of how to win friends and influence people and influence the process while standing firm and being happy warriors. Remember Ronald Reagan's quote about happy warriors out to take back a country in a world of freedom. And so, Seth, we had you know we can't tell tone or any of that from from your email. That's a, that's one of the very important things for you to learn is how to communicate well and and uh, and and so that you can win people over. So that as you're trying to fight for these things, that they will listen to you and influence you. And you may have done exactly that, but that's what happens at Patriot Academy and at the leadership program. I mean, all of these things are going to be places where you're going to learn. And um, you know, a year from now, you'll still be in that age range. We'll have our one year program on the Patriot Academy campus. You can come get life skills and leadership skills there as well. And we also recommend a program in Arkansas that, that my, all of my kids have gone to uh, called Leaders Academy. And that is a one-year program where you really do get some great life skills. So there's a lot of opportunities. We just encourage you to study and learn. But sure, enjoyed your email. And, and thanks for asking your question and for being willing to listen and, and learn. You're obviously a leader to be thinking about these things at such a young age. And we'd love to come alongside you in some of those programs. Guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. We've got more questions from the audience. You're listening to Foundations of Freedom right here on The Wall Builder Show. Hey, this is Tim Barton with Wall Builders. And as you've had the opportunity to listen to Wall Builders Live, you've probably heard the wealth of information about our nation. 
about our spiritual heritage, about the religious liberties, about all the things that makes America exceptional. And you might be thinking, as incredible as this information is, I wish there was a way that I could get one of the Wall Builders guys to come to my area and share with my group, whether it be a church, whether it be a Christian school or public school or some political event or activity. If you're interested in having a Wall Builder speaker come to your area, you can get on our website at www.wallbuilders.com and there's a tab for scheduling. And if you'll click on that tab, you'll notice there's a list of information from speakers' bios to events that are already going on. And there's a section where you can request an event to bring this information about who we are, where we came from, our religious liberties and freedoms. Go to the Wall Builders website and bring a speaker to your area. We're back here on the Wall Builder Show. Thanks for staying with us. It's still good. It's Foundations of Freedom Thursday. I almost said it was Good News Friday, guys. Uh, we'll do more of that good news tomorrow. But let's get one more question in before we run out of time today. Ernest sent this one in from Oregon, and he said, Congress probably will never pass a term limit for themselves, but can a state get enough signatures to put on the ballot a law for term limits for their state? Interesting way to ask that question, guys. And, of course, Tim, uh, Ted Cruz just filed a bill with uh, several other members of the Senate um, for term limits, so they're at least – Got it in the hopper. I don't think anybody thinks they're going to term limit themselves, though. I doubt that'll happen. But as to how you do this in a state, it's different from state to state. Every state's got it differently. Some will take a constitutional amendment. Some will take a ballot initiative or some will take the legislature putting it on the ballot. Lots of ways to get there. Uh, Constitution allows that every state gets to control its own elections. Now, as far as how many have done it, 22 states so far have passed term limits on themselves. So it's been done 22 times. Most of this happened back in the 1990s, 1992, 1994. This was a huge movement, and a lot of states did it back then. Um, and now of those 22, actually, two states went back a decade later and repealed it, and that was Idaho and Utah. And both of them found out it really didn't help because you put a six- or eight-year term limit on it. It takes you four to six years to learn how the legislature works and what the process is. And they found they didn't have good institutional knowledge. So it hurt them. Other states have longer term limits, eight, 10, 12 years, whatever. So at this point in time, of the 22 states that did it, two states have repealed it and gone back. Four states, the courts have struck it down as violating the state constitution. And in state constitutions, there are provisions that will not necessarily allow you to do ballot initiatives to take power away from legislators. You have to do that through other means. So process stuff. But there are there are 16 states that do have this, that definitely have it at this point in time. Now, for me, I think that term limits is, is a Band-Aid patch. It's kind of a good deal. But you know what? If we get term limits in Washington, D.C., we have them on the wrong people. I think we need term limits on the unelected people there, the bureaucrats, the officials, the the Fauci's and those kind of guys that have been in government for 40 years. That's where you need term limits. We can get at the senators and we can get at the congressmen, even though they're hard to get out of office because of all the money. But that's nothing compared to the guys that are running the agencies and their civil service and they're in the federal unions and et cetera. The same with staff. It's the congressional staff that really needs term limits. I mean, we've talked before about how I've seen two congressmen that were pro-abortion become pro-life simply because they got staff that gave them different information. So these guys often cast the votes, but they cast the votes on the basis of what staff recommends and what staff tells them. And that's where you really need term limits. But we have to understand the process, not just the appearance. What we see on TV, the guys that get elected, they're real and they have opinions, and that's important. But we understand need to understand the process as well. And, and you know, guys, too, one of the things that I, the, some of these things are fun to debate because you can argue well from both sides. 
um, going back to some of the original thought and intent and content. One of the things I think is worth noting, though, Dad, I mean, to your point, is if you put term limits, it's not going to ultimately solve all the problems we're trying to solve because it's not going to term limit all the people that need to be term limited. But ultimately, it's because we lost the foundation, the heart of the issue. And when you have people that used to be public servants that are now trying to make a career making money off the backs of tax paying citizens, you've lost the heart of what that was supposed to be. When you go back to the founding fathers, where so many of them talked about, you need to avoid people that are trying to promote themselves to places of power and influence. When you have somebody saying, hey, choose me, elect me, let me go represent you, they said people that are usually promoting themselves, self-promoters are going to end up being dangerous party people. They're, they're going to end up being the politicians that just say whatever they need to say to get elected. They want to protect themselves and their position, et cetera. What we've also lost is just the very philosophy, the foundation of what public office and really public service was all about. Uh, and, and so unless we restore some of those thoughts, some of that heart and foundation, even having term limits, although there can be some positive benefits to it, it's not going to ultimately resolve the problem we want to resolve, even in elected officials, much less when you get into the bureaucracy. And what we've seen certainly over the last couple of years is how deep so much that swamp is. And man, living in Oregon, there is so much ridiculousness, so much corruption and it, even in state politics, in places like Oregon and California, um, and, and it really is sad, guys. We've talked about it a lot. When you see some of these incredibly beautiful places like in Oregon or California, and the politics have just made those places devastating to live in so many regards, when those should be some of the very best places in the entire U.S. to be, it, it really is a reflection that politics can make a major difference on one side or the other. Yeah, guys. The only thing I'll add on the on the term limits thing today with so, with so little time is federal judges. Man, I'd I'd love to see a, at least a set term for federal judges, even if we didn't get the term limits instead of this you know good behavior language in the Constitution that's been twisted into you know these lifetime appointments. These guys serve for forty or fifty or sixty years. Uh, I would I would love to see a limit on that or at least a reappointment process. But you know that's the that's the thing. I mean, we we, we talked about it. You can you can have all the limitations, all those things. We've got to educate the American people. We've got to restore constitutional knowledge, biblical knowledge. There's no silver bullet. There's no one single thing we can do uh, to, to modify the process that's suddenly going to solve everything. Uh, we need to be involved in all these different areas. Great question. There's a lot of them we didn't get to today, folks. So make sure you're listening every Thursday, and we'll be getting to more of your questions. You can send them into radio at wallbuilders.com. We sure appreciate you listening to The Wall Builder Show.